So now we're going to transition to our time in God's Word. As you saw there, it's a significant one. We're in a, a pretty massive um, chunk for the first time as we're walking through Acts, the book of Acts, and we'll be doing that for the majority of this year. Um, it's uh, it, it kind of for the first time a dark cloud kind of descends over God's church, his people. And so um, go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 4. We'll be in Acts 4, verses 32 through Acts chapter 5. Um, verse 11. So we're going to be covering that, that section together this morning. So go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, um, would you go ahead and hold your hand up and keep it up and somebody will get you a Bible right now. And um, también si quieres la Biblia en español y no tienes, uh, por favor levanta su mano y diga español. Y si no tienes una Biblia, uh, es, eso es nos regalo a usted. Um, y estamos en, en, en Hechos, um, en la Biblia esta mañana. Um, again, we're in the book of Acts. We want to make sure everyone has a Bible they can keep and make their own and understand and read in their own language. So if you don't have a Bible, again, please keep this. It's our gift to you. We want to make sure you have it and bring it with you. Um, if you're someone who, like, holds your hand up high every week and then takes it and takes it home with you, um, you could either give them away or bring them back here and keep one for yourself. Um, and bring it every week. Amen? All right. So as we get into um, our time together this morning, this is where we're going, okay? The big idea of Acts from beginning to end is we've seen the big idea is the Acts of God. All right? It's Almighty God revealing his mighty works through his people. So it's not the Acts of the uh, apostles per se. It's more the mighty acts or the mighty works of God working through his people, his church. And so what we'll see today, just to kind of give you a heads up as you go through our time together, is we'll see, um, we'll see God generously providing for his church and fiercely protecting his church. And through that, revealing his might, his power, his authority, his character. Okay, so that's where we'll be today. That's what we'll see in our time together, and that's how we have it broken up. And um, again, uh, I think this is a significant time for us to really lean in and press into God's Word. So I'm going to pray right now for us again and ask God to lead us and guide us in our time together in His Word. So with that, let's, let's pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your scriptures. We do believe that um, this, is, this is your word, that it's God-breathed and it's profitable for teaching and for rebuke and for correction. Lord, we pray that we would be encouraged where appropriate and convicted where appropriate. And even if those both need to happen simultaneously, we trust that that's a work that only you can bring about through the power of your Holy Spirit. Um, Lord, we pray that um, as the church has historically called this time the prayer of illumination, Lord, that you will illuminate, you will shine your light on your word and shine your light on our hearts, Lord, so that your word will, um, Lord, will, 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 will come to bear on our hearts and on our minds and in our thoughts and in our actions and in our everyday lives. We pray and trust these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, again, um, just kind of picking up, diving right into it. In Acts chapter 4, verse 32, we see God generously blessing and providing for his church. And so picking up um, right off the bat there, chapter 4, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, 
but they had everything in common. Again, that's the word. That word is fellowship. Okay, we hear that word a lot in our, in our, in our churches, in our day. Oh, yeah, fellowship. We just kind of hear it and kind of move on, and we don't really take into consideration what it actually means. Well, it means to have everything in common. That's what that word in the, in the Greek means, fellowship. So these people have everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. So this is, again, God revealing his mighty power, his mighty works, by generously blessing his people and then using those people to be generous with each other and with others around them. And again, this is no, no small thing because, like, we hear this stuff and we can be like, oh, yeah, that's cool, people are being generous, but, like, let's be real with each other, okay? This is, like, miraculous because we are all selfish people, uh, apart from God's intervention, we, um, we look out for ourselves and we hoard what is ours for ourselves and we use our goods and our relationships to meet our own ends. And as we've even seen throughout this book of Acts so far, God, often we naturally use God and use each other's to meet our, and use each other to meet our own ends right, to accomplish what we want to get out of it. And so the fact, though, is that Jesus and as this, his death and resurrection, what has been called the Christ event, okay, the, the, there's um, in a good way the, the, the reality of those two events, the Christ event is, 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 is illuminating or overshadowing the entire book of Acts. Everything that's happening is because of what is celebrated in Acts chapter 2 is, is the death and resurrection of Jesus and the very power that that brings and informs. And so what you have here is this, okay? Jesus is generous and gives generously, most clearly displayed on the cross giving his life, and then victoriously raising from the dead so that he gives, so that now through faith in him, his people can give generously as well. Okay, though you and I are naturally selfish, we look out for ourselves, because Jesus is generous with us, we can be generous with others. Guys, this is the way life is supposed to be. But again, outside of Jesus' intervention, it's not the way we live. Again, we're selfish people. You can look at your neighbor right now and say, you're selfish, you know? And because you both said it to each other, you can look at your other neighbor and say, you're selfish. All right, we are all selfish. And again, we, we think too highly of ourselves. We, we fancy ourselves more highly than we ought. And that's just the reality. And we need to be jarred. And in fact, we're going to have a, a very clear picture here in, the next, in chapter 5 of what selfishness really looks like and how we can be enslaved or, or, or held captive by selfishness and selfish thinking. And yet, miraculously, God's power is on display by generously providing for his church through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and then using his people to generously provide for one another. And guys, this is a picture, like, look at this here. It, 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 poverty is being dealt with. 
And it's beautiful, and no one um, was in need, and everyone gave generously as they had. And, and this isn't a picture of God like giving a mandate and saying, okay, you have to do this, you have to give X number of dollars, you have to give X, you know, put these number of zeros behind it, and you have to give in this way. No, it's again, hear me, it's people responding to the generous good news of Jesus and then living that out in their everyday lives, generously giving as everyone had need. And it, this is the good life. This is life as it's supposed to be lived. In the, in, the, in, the, in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, this is shalom. This is God being God and creating everything to reflect his goodness and his glory and using his people to bless one another and to reflect him and to live all of life in worship for God's glory and others' good. This is how it's supposed to be. And then you see this most clearly portrayed through one man. You see... And said, um, picking up in verse 36, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. I love that. Such a good name. Another name, okay, we should implement into our everyday lives here. Name your kids Barnabas. Okay, we could call him Barney, whatever. It doesn't have to be the Flintstones. It could, right? Moses, Barnabas. Add these. Let's bring these back, okay? These names. It's such a good name. Son of encouragement, Barnabas. And this is what Barnabas does um, in verse 37. He sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Such a beautiful picture. He, he, he had this field and he said, how can all that I have be used for God's glory and others' good? Okay, there's not a mandate. Like, again, we think, we, we think so much. We want to put God in a box. We want to put the Holy Spirit on a shelf and say, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Just tell me a, a percentage I'm supposed to give and I'll give it. Just do this. But it's so much more rich and I would even say more beautiful and perhaps even more difficult. And how God calls us to live our lives is in dependence upon him. And in this case, Barnabas is just like, I've got this field. I'm going to sell it. And I'm going to give it away to be distributed and to be used for God's glory and others' good. And we, we saw the same thing way back in Acts chapter 2, that not everyone sold their houses. Not everyone did this exact same thing. It's not like, you know, trying to keep up, you know, spiritually with, with Barnabas. Oh, man, he got a cool name. You know, he's called Barney. I, gotta, I guess I better sell what I have now and try to live up to Barnabas. No, it's just as the Spirit is leading, looking through the lens of God's glory and others' good, he's miraculously providing, and poverty is being dealt with. And we have people in our church here who live this kind of way. Some people who do live, you know, kind of redeemed hippies, you know, kind of commune style living and giving generously and sharing. And then we have others in our church who have a lot and who don't live like hippies in a commune, but use what they do have to open their home and bless others and use it. I just look at the call sins. I didn't even, you know, didn't, I didn't plan on this, but just even as I see them and they've opened their home, they're empty nesters now, kind of, right? And they're, they're empty nesters now. They, they could just be like, all right, we're going to use our hot tub and our heated pool just for our own enjoyment. And we've, you know, we've earned this, but they're opening up their home for youth. I mean, who wants to let a bunch of youth come and, you know, pee in their pool and swim in their, in their, you know, use their chocolate fountain? Well, they do. Because they, they love God and love others, and they're using that to bless others and open their home as a redemption community to, to see youth reach with the good news of Jesus. Okay? They're like Barnabas. And it's, um, it's encouraging and it's good. And this is the way it's supposed to be. 
But then chapter 5 comes in like a jarring, like a whiplash, a stark contrast to what we see in Barnabas here. We see in this couple, Ananias and Sapphira. In chapter 5, verse 1, you can say welcome to chapter 5. I guess that we got to do that, right? Okay, we, we get there. Or we can just put that to sleep. What do you think? Do you think we should just stop doing that? I don't know. Yeah, some of you do? Okay. I got some, Wow, you really care about that. All right. I'm going to just keep doing it now. No, just kidding. We'll see. As the Spirit leads, all right? We'll see in chapter... Come back for chapter 6. We'll let you know. Chapter 5. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias... Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? And while it remained unsold, did did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Again, finally, for the first time here, a dark cloud descends upon the church. We've looked at persecution in chapter 6. We'll see persecution coming from the outside again, but it's so often the case. Even within the church, within God's people, darkness comes, division, brokenness, and it's tragic. And this, this is a picture that should be really jarring for us. Okay, what we'll see go on, I'll just kind of describe it here. As he says, with your wife's knowledge, Ananias, you had this field and you sold it, and then you you worked it out together, and she knew. And then what we'll see eventually here is that Ananias comes before Peter and he presents this this all this money, and he says, again, looking at someone like Barnabas here, oh, here's all the money I got. Let me, hey, look, look at what happened here. And they, they agree together. And he says, this is everything I got when I sold this field. And then Peter looks at him and says, why have you lied to God? You've lied to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God, the third person of the Trinity. You see a, a high view of God here. And Peter, I think with anguish in his heart, calls Ananias to give an account. Why'd you do this? And Ananias falls dead. And then we see elsewhere that his wife comes and she says the same thing. Oh yeah. And then Peter even kind of gives her an opportunity. He says, well, how much did you sell it for? Was it for this amount? And again, because she'd already worked it out with her husband, she's like, yeah, 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 for this amount, for the same amount that you just said, that's what it was, right? That's what my husband and I agreed on. And oh man, I hope he didn't change his mind. I hope he didn't say something else. And and, yeah, 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 that's how much for. And he again looks at her with sadness and she too falls down dead. Okay, we got a lot of questions here, right? Like what's going on? It's sad, it's tragic. These These are part of the church. Ananias and Sapphira are not outsiders. They're not those people, right? They're not whoever it is that you think like politically or socially or, you know, whatever it is, like this is Christians and this is those out there. No, this is, this is like people within the church, within the community. Like these people have a, have a fish on the back of their car and little bumper stickers and they talk to talk and use all the right lingo. And right, if you're new to the church and not a Christian, you don't have to do any of those things. I was just, okay. Um, but that's the perception, right? 
Like these people, though, they're insiders. Now, someone poses the question, are they Christians? Are Ananias and Sapphira, are they genuine followers of Jesus? And on the one hand, let me say, I don't know. And on the other hand, let me say, as one commentator said, does it really matter? Either way, I don't know what God will do here ultimately. If they genuinely put their faith in Jesus, did they still bear the consequence of their sin and fall down dead? And are they still forgiven? Will they spend eternity with Jesus? I don't know. I don't know the, the full answer to that. Um, I have thoughts and, you know, but either way, what you see here on display is, again, the tragic reality of sin. And again, let me just say this, too, is you see the mighty works of God on display here because God not only generously provides for his people, but he also fiercely protects his church. And and let's just be clear, this is not (laughs) seeker-friendly, okay? This isn't like... Hey, we're going to just, you know, present something. We're going to really water down the Bible. We're going to water down what it means to follow Jesus. We're going to make it really palatable and really easy and do this. And we'll see here later. I'll just get ahead of myself here um, because we're kind of all over the place this morning. Verse 11, it says, And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. This is not... Um, the headlines like, oh, I heard about this really hip, cool church, you know, that everyone's hipsters and everyone's really, you know, they all drink, you know, craft coffee and do all these cool things and you should come and it's really the next big thing. All right, as we talked about before, like we praise God for the people he's bringing here and the, you know, for the numbers that the balconies got people in them and it's like exciting stuff going on here, but that's really not our focus. Our, our, our ultimate first focus, if that means change lives, the more people that are coming or, or the more people who are putting their faith in Jesus and more, more, more marriages are being restored and saved and shaped and more, more people are going from darkness to light and are going from not God, from walking away from God to a uh, a 180 and repenting and putting their faith in their creator and now living all of life all for Jesus, their identity and their purpose restored through the person and work of Jesus. Amen, right? If more people are living that out. But all that stuff I just said might result in people being like, I don't know, that's, I don't want to be a part of that. Whoa, di- wait, you mean repenting means I've got to actually say I'm sorry? That's not really popular today. I coach like little nine-year-old soccer <laughs> Even there, like, you, you ask one kid to say he's sorry, and, like, parents are flipping out. Like, oh, you, oh, my kid just does whatever they want, and, you know, this isn't allowed. And that's, it's unpopular. The gospel is offensive to be called to genuinely surrender to an authority. But, of course, we know the good news is it's an authority who lays his life down, who gives himself, who dies so that we might live. Okay, it's good, it's glorious, it's attractive, but it's not attractional, right? We don't have to church it up. We don't have to water it down. And you see that's what's happening here is God loves us too much. Hear me. Okay, look at me right now. God loves you too much to lie to you. God loves you too much to pretend that you could go on living a life of sin. You could go on living a life of hypocrisy and not let that be be dealt with. I don't think, and we don't see another example in the rest of Scripture, I don't think God usually just lets people drop down dead for being hypocrites. 
but he definitely takes it that seriously. Is our Ananias and Sapphira just an example? Maybe. Honestly, it kind of seems that way. It seems like as God's early church is forming, and it's his church, right? Not the apostles' church, not your church, not my church. I'm not the head of this deal. I'm not the, right? Jesus is the head over this church. And, and, and early on as it's forming, he wants to make it clear that, that following him is a big deal. Okay, and I, I raise my voice and I, I lean in and I say, look at me, because, guys, I believe that we are in desperate danger as a people today to remove God and his holiness and his authority, to remove him altogether from our gathering, from our, our church, our, our relationship, our, our community, our time, to take him really lightly. And that would do no one any good. Because the fact that he's so gracious is all the more beautiful in light of the fact that he is so glorious and that he is to be feared and that awe is to come upon everyone who comes before him. And that's what's on display here as God is shaping and forming and protecting his church. It's, he's revealing just how good and how glorious he is. And we'll see that in a moment as we look through, really, as we kind of laser focus in here on, on what's really going on all the more. But let's get back to Ananias and Sapphira there for a moment. Why are they, why do they drop dead? Or is it because they didn't give all the money? Is it because God's like, um, I've got a favorite. I like Barney better than you. Like, your names are weird, Ananias and Sapphira. But Barney, um, he's really my favorite. And he, he sold everything, and he gave it all, and you guys didn't, so you have to die. You know, is God that petty? Right? It sounds silly even as I say that, but it should sound silly because that's not at all what's going on here. What's going on is Ananias and Sapphira are again using God and using God's people for their own gain. That's hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is giving in to having a divided heart and is giving in to, I want to serve God, but only so much as it ultimately serves me. And ultimately, I'm going to replace God with myself. I'm gonna, that's idolatry. I'm going I'm to center my life around my own reputation. And that's really what's going on here. And so what, why they drop dead, why God's judgment falls on them, is because they're coming before and they're saying, yeah, we sold it for this much. And I love in, in verse 4 there, right? Is it verse 4? Um, in verse 4 here, Peter Really, yeah, Peter brings it to bear, and he's like, I love this. He, he, he has some wisdom here that he didn't have before God sent the Holy Spirit to really fill him. But now he's wise, and Peter says, While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it you have contrived this deed in your heart? Again, I, it could have been incredibly glorious and honoring to God. If they sold the field for X amount of money and they said, hey, we've got this going on in our lives. They prayed about it. They consulted community. They brought others into it. They said, you know what? We're going to take this amount um, that we, from what we got and we're going to use it for the, you know, our, our 
car needs new tires or whatever else they had to do, you know, our horses need, need new horseshoes, whatever. And we're going to do this stuff and then we're going to use the rest here and we're going to give it to the church and we're going we're gonna to give it to what God's doing. We're going to be a part of outward focus, right? We're going to go do Hands of Hope and we're going we're gonna to be involved in what's going on. And, that, and you see other examples of that, and that's, but that's not what they do. What they do here is they come and they contrive a lie. And they're unified under this lie. And they, and they do that so that they can use God and pretend and build their reputation and use others for their own gain and their own glory and their own popularity. Guys, let us take this really, really seriously here that what you, what you see here, I think, is so similar to what we see in our day of, of, of our, our tendency to just play church, to show up, to think that showing up is enough, to kind of put on a face here and then be a different husband at home than you are here, to be a different mom or friend or, or worker or whatever it might be, to live a, a, a divided life. Again, the language here in the Greek here is that they had a division in their hearts Divided heart. They didn't live their whole life entrusted to God. They didn't live uh, in light of his grace. And, and, and they, no, they, they lived to manipulate and to, and to divvy up and to, and to be the master of their own domain. Let me say it to you guys. This is a massive, massive temptation in our day. The entitlement has just, just permeated our lives and our hearts. And that we think, no, I'm the captain of my own ship. I can do what I want to do with whatever it is that I have, and I can use God and use others and, and just kind of dictate my own life. And we, again, we say this often, it's like we're fish swimming in polluted water that we're not able to identify the, what, is, what, is, what is messy and gross in the waters we're swimming in. In fact, we just accept it as normal. And, and what this does in our time now is it, is it illuminates, God is illuminating the clearer waters that he has called us into through, through faith in Jesus and what, what life ought to look like. And, and we just think, oh, yeah, of course you should just use whatever. You could, hey, it's tax season, right? It's, oh, of course you can skimp a little here and lie a little here and get, you know, I, I just saw the number on TurboTax go somehow from red to green or, you know, by, I, I'll just keep that going. I'll just kind of live this out. I'll, you know, it's, no, it's a white lie. It's a little deal. And, no, take that so seriously, because there is a war going on for your and my heart. And Jesus says that through his life, death, and resurrection, your heart now belongs to him. And God the Holy Spirit has filled you. The, 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 the words that are used here is he has sealed you. And so that conviction that your conscience is yelling right now or that's yelling throughout the week for you and I to honor him with our time, with our relationships, with our money, with all that we do, is not something to just take lightly. It's Jesus calling you to live your life for his glory and others' good, and through that, your joy is found. And so now, look for a moment through the lens, this whole thing, of who this happens with. Who does God use to reveal his judgment to Ananias and Sapphira? Who is it? That, that's not a rhetorical question. Who's involved here? 
Peter. Imagine Peter looking through the lens here. Is injustice going on here? Yes. Is there, is there injustice in Ananias and Sapphira dropping dead in, at Peter's feet? Yes, absolutely. It's unjust. But not the way that you and I think. My, 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 uh, my bet is that we look at this, many of us, and are like, man, why is God so petty? Why is God judging Ananias and Sapphira right now? And we should be asking that question, but we should also be asking, like I guarantee you, Peter is also thinking, and why is he not, why is Peter standing still? Why isn't Peter laying there dead next to them or even before them? Because Peter, remember, just months before this, denied Jesus. He lied. Just like Ananias and Sapphira have done here, he lied. He lied before God. He lied before others for his own selfish gain. He wanted to protect his own skin. And as Jesus was being beaten and whipped, as his beard was getting torn out and spit upon, Peter said, no, I don't know him. Three times people called out to him and said, oh, yeah, you're one of that guy's followers. You, you follow Jesus. And Jesus had, had saved, had healed Peter's mother-in-law. Maybe that's why Peter denied him. He didn't love his mother. No, it's a mother-in-law joke. I just derailed us, right? It was a serious moment. No, it still is, right? Seriously, Peter was, was a beloved friend of Jesus. Peter had boldly, arrogantly, like so many of us, like I definitely have done, just kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make these bold proclamations. I'll never do it again, Jesus. I'll never sin again. I'll never look at this again. I'll never do this again. I'll never say this again. I'll never carry this out again. This is the last time. That was the last time. And just like, just like Peter, you and I so arrogantly make these bold proclamations, and that's what Peter did. He said, Jesus, I will die before I deny you. And Jesus said, oh, you have no idea. Peter and Jesus denied sorry Peter denied Jesus three times and yet Jesus gives him new life after Jesus rose from the dead when he confronts Peter you see him saying Peter feed my sheep Peter I love you Peter you have new life he changes his name he says he says you're the rock upon which my church will be built so I imagine here, and I pray that what is going on here, guys, as we read this section of Scripture, that again, we would be led to worship Almighty God, that we all sin. And that when we look at stories like Ananias and Sapphira, we don't say, God, why are you so petty? But we see the glory and the greatness of God, and we begin to think, God, Man, it should be this kind of judgment and so much more. That if God really created us to reflect him and to love him and to live all of life for him in, in his very image, when God created us, formed us, um, in, in initially he like intimately formed man through clay with his own hands and then he put him to sleep and he formed his wife out of his rib and and, this, and then he sang a song over them. And then, and, then, and then we see in Psalm 139 the beauty with which God creates every single one of us. And then the ways that we take God's image and smear it through the mud by sins we commit against ourselves and against other image bearers of his. 
I think we, we judge God because we've grown so accustomed to sin and it's grown so comfortable and normal for us. And I know this isn't a very popular sermon, right? If we were just kind of picking from sections of Scripture, this probably wouldn't be one that we'd be like, yeah, this will be a really good one. But it's God's gift to us to wake us up and to call us to, to return our eyes to Him and His glory. And I think the effect is it informs our worship all the more. And we see that God's incredible grace is so much sweeter, is so much more amazing because of His incredible glory his incredible might on display as he protects his church. One, um, as we close, I want to read a poem um, for us that uh, one man, John Piper, some of you have heard of from the Gospel Coalition, author and a pastor, he wrote a poem, and this is just a section of that poem that kind of brings to life looking at this through the lens of Peter. And so this is what John Piper wrote. All through the night, Again and then again, he cringed and saw the men first carry Ananias to the grave and then Sapphira through the fading light of day, like two limp flowers cut from where they grow and tossed away. But then, as day began to break and night gave way to early morning gray, a sound pierced Peter's mind and turned around the way he saw the world, a bird a crowing cock. And when he heard the voice of this old friend, the night came back to him when he, in spite of all his boasts, fell like a leaf before a breeze. And his belief denied, I do not know the man. Imagine again what Peter was thinking here as he remembers that he denied Jesus. And it says they're like two limp flowers cut Ananias and Sapphira fall dead. And he has this incredible picture before him that I pray would be the same for you and I. That when we look at the sins in the world around us, we wouldn't say, oh, how could they do that? Oh, I'm so much better. I would never fill in the blank. I would never do that. Yeah, 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 God's grace is good and all, but man, fill in the blank, whatever it might be. What are the people in our day that we could look down our nose and say, I would never horrible acts done and we look at so arrogantly and say I would never do that well I pray that like Peter that language would change from but not for the grace of God so would I go if not for God's intervening grace when we watch whatever it is you watch CNN Fox News right you see the ticker you see these horrible stories someone left their their puppy in a car or whatever else it might be or any kind of horrible atrocity committed again to other image bearers of God that should rake our hearts and we should say that's not the way it's supposed to be. God's judgment, God come and make new what has been broken and simultaneously say not what, you know, throw them, throw them in jail and throw out the key and, we, you know, how could they? I would never do that but let us be cut to the heart even now that even as we respond and worship we would see God you are so great and so glorious and that is such an assault on you and on your glory and on your kingdom and on the world that you created to be uh, a certain way and it has gone so far away from you and yet God you are a God of grace but not for your grace I would be that person God that would be me 
Even now as we respond in worship and in prayer and we come forward and we take communion, let us take communion with a contrite heart, a heart of worship, a heart of praise, a heart of thankfulness, and a heart that says, Lord Jesus, if not for your death and your resurrection, if not for your body broken and your blood spilt, I would be Ananias and Sapphira. I deserve that kind of judgment, but instead you've given life. Now let me use that life for your glory and others' good. So now as we respond in worship, let's look to Almighty God, who though we are naturally selfish, he gives generously so that now through him we too can be generous. As we see God and his mighty works displayed as he provides generously and protects his church fiercely. Let's pray. Again, uh, Lord, we love you. Um, I pray that you would do a work among us that we need done right now. That I don't know um, what, what's going on here in all of our different, uh, different circumstances and contexts. Lord, I trust that, again, those of us who need to be encouraged by the incredible good news of Jesus dying in our place, Lord, that, that I pray that, Lord, that um, people who always go to Ananias and Sapphira and say, God, that's me, I'm laying dead, I, I'm, I'm worthless, I have no hope, Lord, I pray that you would convict, yes, but encourage and say, no, no, but, but that is not you because of the resurrection of Jesus. You are now accepted, you are now forgiven, you are now called son or daughter. So, Lord, for those who tend to live with their heads hung low, I pray that you you would gently and lovingly put your hand below the chins that need to be lifted and lift our eyes to you in worship and in praise and in adoration. And Lord, restore us to joy, assurance of grace through the finished work of Jesus. And Lord, those of us who need to be convicted, who need to take sin more seriously, who tend to kind of church it up and pretend and use you and use one another for our own selfish gain. Lord, I, I trust that through the Holy Spirit you will convict us. Lord, that we will not look at everyone else down our nose, but we will take a hard look at ourselves and see our desperate need for your forgiveness. And Lord, that that will lead us to respond in worship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.